Well, God has a way of providing us many humbling moments throughout our life, doesn't he? Moments that I can only imagine are specifically designed to build humility in our lives. A couple months ago, I had one of these moments. We, uh, on our car, we had to replace the windshield wipers. And as often happens in this crazy city of ours, the windshield wipers just decide not to work after a few months, and so they aren't cleaning anything off. So we went, we took a hike down to Walmart, bought some really nice windshield wipers to put on our car. We didn't want to get some cheap ones that we'd have to replace in just a few weeks. So we actually put some money into this, got some nice windshield wipers, went out to our car. This was late at night, probably, I don't know, 9 o'clock at night, cold, middle of January, freezing. And the thing is, about putting these on, you couldn't, you very well use gloves because you couldn't get your fingers in the little slots that you have to put it onto the car. So we're out there for like five minutes under the light of the moon and the street lights, trying to put these windshield wipers on our car. Well, we finally got the old ones off, put the new ones on, hop in our car, turn them on, and they're terrible. Like, they are literally worse than our old ones that have been on there for a year. And so we're like, oh, man. So we get back out, take the new ones off, hike back into Walmart to return them and get some new ones. Well, Angela takes the uh, new ones to the customer information desk, and I go to the back to look for some nicer ones to get. I'm thinking, man, this is going to hurt in the wallet a bit more. And as I'm looking at this shelf here of all these options, my cell phone starts ringing. And Angela's on the other end laughing. Turns out as she goes up to the desk and hands over the uh, case with the new windshield wipers and the clerk pulls them out, she notices something, that there was a uh, piece of plastic covering... (laughs) covering the blades that was obviously supposed to come off before we turned them on. And it wasn't like they were camouflaged either. They were bright green. (laughs) So feeling very stupid, we hiked back out, put them back on after another five minutes. Actually, it probably went faster this time because we actually knew what we were doing. We got them back on, and they worked just fine once we took the covering off. And here I was, just completely humbled by this little piece of plastic. <laughs> well, today, when we go to God's Word, we're going to look at the importance of, hum- of humility, but not of being humbled by random things that, we, that happen in our life, but being humbled by ourselves. Humbling ourselves. And we're going to look at this in context of being connected in community. That's what we've been going through, a series on being connected in community together. And what's the importance of humility in these relationships? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, after Hebrews, James, then 1 Peter, towards the back of the New Testament. And we'll be in chapter 5 of 1 Peter today. And as we go to this, let's pray that God's Word is going to teach us today and that His Spirit will teach us what it means to really humble ourselves. All right, let's pray. Lord, we know that when you came to earth, you humbled yourself and died for us. And sometimes in our lives, it's very hard to learn humility. 
what it means to humble ourselves. And so as we come to your word today, we pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that your, your truth would just work its way into each one of our hearts and affect change, that we would leave here with different perspectives on life, different attitudes that would lead to different actions that are more humble towards you and other people. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the book of 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. As with many books in the New Testament, this was written to Christians in the midst of persecution. And Peter wrote this book to encourage them, okay, to encourage them to trust the Lord in this time, to live obediently, and then to look forward to the day of the Lord's return. And as he comes toward the end, we're in the last chapter of the book, he gives the church a passionate command of his. And it's the one another that we're going to be looking at today. So let's read this passage together, and then we'll dissect what it means for us. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hands, that he may lift you up in due time. Stop there. So the one another that we see in this passage, you see it in verse 5? All of you, halfway through, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility. That really sums up the main message of this passage that we're going to look at today. And that is that all of us need to humble ourselves toward one another. We need to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Every one of us needs to humble ourselves before one another. Read it again, verse 5. It says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter uses the analogy here, it's a common analogy, of putting on clothes, comparing it to putting on good character in our lives. And what we wear says something about us. It displays something about us. And the same here. Peter wants us to display humility in our lives. To clothe yourselves here literally meant to tie something on oneself with a knot or a bow. So humility should be as obvious in your life as wearing a tie or a big hair bow or a bracelet, something like that. Now, myself, I'm pretty dim-witted when it comes to fashion and clothing. If you think my choice in clothing is nice at all, it's not me. My wife deserves all the credit here. <laughs> she basically dresses me in the morning. <laughs> Puts out my clothes and she has turned me from a complete walking fashion faux pas into a somewhat socially acceptable person. <laughs> so <laughs> she deserves credit in that. But there's still some remnants of my old-fashioned sense that pop up every now and then. I still have a big stack of ratty t-shirts in my closet. 
And I still have a pair or two of mom jeans lying around, if you know what those are. Supposedly, I don't tie my ties correctly. People make fun of me all the time that I don't know how to make to tie a Windsor knot or something of the equivalent. And so, I mean, it looks like a tie. I'm just happy I can get around my neck and get it some kind of knot. <laughs> but if I walk out of the room and I'm wearing something terrible and my wife sees me, she shoes me back to the closet. <laughs> okay, that's what you're wearing is not good. Go put this on instead. Here, Peter isn't talking about clothing fashion or how you look, but he's giving us clothing advice. And not what actual clothes we wear, but what spiritual clothes we wear. He shoes us back to the closet, so to speak. What you're wearing right now is not good. It's terrible. Here, go put on some humility instead. Get hu- put, hum- put on and clothe yourself with humility. I think in our lives, we really need this message said to us way more often than we think we do. To clothe ourselves with humility. Well, before we go any further, we should define this. What is humility? What is humility? And how do we clothe ourselves with it? Well, having humility is really an attitude. It's a thought process, a viewpoint that we have. Having the right attitude of humility can lead to a number of different actions and humble actions. But it's a thought process first, an attitude in our minds. My favorite definition of humility is by an author called C.J. Mahaney. And he says that humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. You get that? Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's really having a correct viewpoint of who we are, an accurate assessment of who we are, in light of who God is, so having that in mind, as holy and sovereign and righteous and just, and in light of who we are, as wicked sinners in desperate need of God's grace and mercy and love. One thing needs to be clear, though. Humility is not low self-esteem, okay? So some people equate humility with having a low sense of self-esteem. It's not that. Humility is a correct, honest, and accurate viewpoint of ourselves. Low self-esteem, on the other hand, would be a negative, incorrect viewpoint of ourselves. Attitudes like, I'm just so fat, or nobody likes me, I'm stupid, I'm a failure. These are low self-esteem, which most of the time are either not true, or even if they are, they don't matter at all. Humility is an accurate assessment of who we are in light of God ourselves. J.I. Packer says that being humble is not a matter of pretending to be worthless, but is a form of realism not only regarding the real badness of one's sins and stupidities and the real depths of one's dependence on God's grace, but also regarding the real range of one's abilities. Humble believers know what they can and cannot do. They know both their gifts and their limitations. It's a sense of realism. What you really are in light of who God is and who we are. Something is obvious, though, from Peter's commands here, and that is that no one is exactly from this. 
No one is exempt. In these verses, he go, you probably saw, he goes through three different groups of people. And each one, he tells them to humble themselves in some way. First of all, he talks to the leaders in the church. Starting in verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. And then what does he tell them to do? To be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. To serve as overseers, willingly. To not be greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He tells them to serve people. He's really describing a humble leader. We already looked at the command to serve one another in love. Remember what serving one another requires? Humility. It takes humility to serve one another. And then he says, don't lord it over. Or don't, ha- don't be domineering over people. Be humble leader. Serving willingly. Peter himself had really become this humble leader. We know a lot about Peter's background as a disciple of Christ. And he wasn't very humble, was he? He was outspoken, brash. Christ had to correct him so many times. But Jesus' own humility had humbled Peter. And he became that humble leader that he was telling other people to be. After addressing the church leaders, he turns to the young people in church. Verse 5, he says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. The NIV says young men here, but really this is a gender-neutral term that's speaking to all young people. And what does he tell young people? Be submissive to those who are older. You know what submission requires? Right? Humility. Submission requires humility. You cannot submit to someone without being humble before them. Some people like to think that when we come to the Bible, that the only people who are told to submit in the Bible are women. As if the Bible is some overbearing, chauvinistic, old-fashioned instruction manual. But first, there are several other groups of people that are told to submit to one another in Scripture. Secondly, submission is never viewed as a negative thing. It's always viewed as a positive attribute of obedience. In fact, one of the other one another's that we don't have time to look at today, Ephesians 5:21 says this where it says to everyone in the church, no one's excluded, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. It requires humility. So why does Peter focus on young people here? Why does he tell young people to submit Well, anyone who's young here, kids, youth, young adults, young at heart, we don't like to submit, do we? We really don't like to submit. We hate it. We hate the idea of humbling ourselves. What's praise in our culture? Rebellion. You're a rebel? All right. Elders are not honored. They're not submitted to. They're mocked. And we're told to submit here. Peter tells us young people, be submissive to those older than you. That even includes our parents, you know that? (laughs) Be submissive to those older than you. That takes some serious humility. 
Are you willing to obey this command? If not, it's probably an attitude of pride or humility on your part. This may mean that the next time a fellow Christian, and even your parents, tell you or ask you to do something that you don't like, you may need to submit to them. And I know, I know you hate to hear this. But this is the way that God wants us to act as young people. And when we don't submit to our elders, we are directly disobeying God. All of us, everyone here, young to old, all of us struggle with obedience and submission at times in our lives. It may be your parents now, but there's only a long list of people to come that you'll need to submit to. It may be your teachers, your bosses, your church leaders. As a Christian, we're told to submit to the Holy Spirit, to God's Word. And it's a willingness to obey and submit that comes through humility. And just in case anyone here thinks they're exempt from these commands because you're not a leader or you're not young, think again. Peter's next group of people here is much wider. Verse 5, second part. All of you... Clothe yourselves with humility. That's why no one's exempt. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So he goes, leaders, don't be domineering. Young people, submit to your elders. All of you, everyone, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So what does it mean to be humble toward one another? We've just seen what it means to be humble, to have a right attitude in our minds, right viewpoint. Understanding what we, who we are. But what does it mean to be humble towards one another? When he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What does that mean? Well, remember, humility is an attitude that leads to actions. Many of the one another's we've seen in this series so far, well, we've seen them already today, they require humility. They do. Are you willing to love one another? To serve one another? To put up with one another? Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Romans 12 says, honor one another. These all require humility. Some more than others. They all require humility. Have you humbled yourself to serve other people? Have you humbled yourself to forgive some? Have you humbled yourself to submit to someone else's authority? Or have you humbled yourself to put up with someone, to bear with maybe the way they like things to happen. All of these and so much more are how we as Christians clothe ourselves with humility. That's how we put on humility. Now, as I'm sure you've noticed, humbling yourself is not what most of us would call much fun. This is not something that we want to hear that we like to do. We don't like looking at things with the attitude because we don't like what we see. It shows us who we really are. It reveals our sin, our rebellion. may knock us down a few notches. So why would God want us to do something that's so unattractive to do? Why would he want us to do this? Why is humility so important to him? Why is it so important that we humble ourselves to one another? Well, in this passage, we see a couple reasons. The first one I think we see today is that all of us need to humble ourselves toward one another because we stand in opposition to God 
when we don't. We need to humble ourselves toward one another because we stand in opposition to God when we don't. Do you see where I get this from? Verse 5 again. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a quote from the Old Testament in Proverbs 3. But when we aren't humble, we really are the opposite. We are prideful. You can't be be prideful and humble at the same time. You're prideful or you're humble. And pride is really one of the most sinister sins. It's very deceptive. It permeates everything that we do. It really could be considered the root of many, if not all, sins. Whereas humility is an accurate assessment of ourselves in light of what God's done and in light of sin, pride is an inaccurate, high assessment of ourselves. It's thinking that we are better than we really are, which for most of us is all the time. C.S. Lewis says, The first step to humility is to realize you are proud. To think you're not conceited means that you are indeed. That's the first step. You want to be humble? Realize you're proud. We all are proud. We are prideful when we brag and when we boast, when we posture or repose for other people. When we tell stories about ourselves that make us look really good. We are prideful when we think or believe that we are good or that we are righteous. We are holy on our own. Or we think that we don't need God, which plays out in a whole host of ways. Lack of prayer, lack of dependence on God, lack of spiritual disciplines. We are prideful when we think we know better than someone else and we end up disregarding advice or counsel, or disobeying orders. We are prideful when we either believe or act like we are better than other people. That's easy to do, isn't it? We start looking down on others because we think we're better than them, maybe more spiritual, or more godly, more intelligent, more athletic, more whatever. When we think we're better than others, that's pride. Pride really permeates everything. And we hate getting rid of our pride. We really hate getting rid of our pride. Many of us would rather die proud than to live humbly. Humility wasn't considered a virtue in Peter's day, and it definitely isn't considered a virtue today. Pride is the virtue in our society. It really is. The world loves pride. We hate getting rid of it, but God hates pride. Proverbs 8.13, the Lord says, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud in heart, or that they are an abomination to the Lord. Why does God hate pride so much? Something that's so revered in our culture. How could God hate that? Why does he tell us that here that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? Well, think about what pride is. Pride really is when we aspire 
to take God's place. It was the original sin that Satan committed in heaven. I will be like God. Or that he told Eve in the garden, you can be like God. So when we aspire to take God's place, C.J. Mahaney says this, Why does God hate pride so passionately? Here's why. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on Him. Pride takes innumerable forms, but only has one end, self-glorification. That's the motive and ultimate purpose of pride, to rob God of legitimate glory and to pursue self-glorification, contending for supremacy with Him. The proud person seeks to glorify himself and not God, thereby attempting in effect to deprive God of something only he is worthy to receive. No wonder God opposes pride. No wonder he hates pride. Let that truth sink into your thinking. Do you see it? Each one of us. We aspire to take God's place. And the word for opposes here in 1 Peter, it's an active present tense verb. That means that God still hates pride, and he is actively and constantly opposing pride today. This is not something he's passive about. The New Living Translation says that God sets himself against pride. He sets himself against it. It's like in the movie Iron Man 2, when Iron Man, this superhero, is getting into this destructive lifestyle and just drinking all the time and partying and using his powers wrong. And his friend, who becomes the superhero war machine, comes along and puts on another suit, just like Iron Man. And he comes, comes into his house, and while war machine and his friend, he sees how destructive this lifestyle is being to Iron Man. And so he comes into his house, and he basically he picks a fight with Iron Man. He says, this has got to stop. Sets his foot down. He stood in direct opposition to Iron Man. And they end up getting in this huge fight. (laughs) Bombs and missiles and exploding houses and everything. But the fight ends up leaving Iron Man lying in the debris of his house, injured. As War Machine flies away. That's how God stands in opposition to our pride. He sees how destructive it is in our lives. And he comes in and says, this has got to stop. It's got to stop. And whether it happens in this life or the next, fighting to keep our pride always ends with us lying in destruction. Ends with us lying in the debris of our life. So when we're prideful, we stand in opposition to God. God opposes the proud. But on the flip side, if we humble ourselves before God, before others, God doesn't fight against us. He rewards us. You see what it says? The second part of the point is that all of us need to humble ourselves toward one another because we receive grace when we do. 
because we receive grace when we do. We need to humble ourselves because, because God rewards the humble with grace. It's the same quote from Proverbs. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But gives grace to the humble. Do you remember the definition that we used for grace a little while back? Undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Anything undeserved that we receive from God is a grace. And that's basically everything that we receive is undeserved favor. Here the Bible says that God gives grace, undeserved favor, to the humble. Maybe that's because the humble realize that they don't deserve anything. The pride don't. The prideful don't. The humble realize they don't deserve anything. So everything they receive, they realize that's a grace from God. I have breath to breathe today. That's grace. I have a family. I have friends. It's grace. I have been given so many blessings, each one a grace or a gift from God. The humble realize that they haven't earned these, but that God gives blessings. So how does God show his grace to the humble? What undeserved favor does he show them? Well, for one... He's on the humble side. Instead of opposing you and saying, this has got to stop, he stands beside you, with you, saying, let's do this together. Let me help you. He doesn't stand in opposition. He stands on the same side of you. But the most major way that God gives grace to the humble is when the humble come to him for salvation. God loves to pour out grace on whoever comes to him for what really is the ultimate grace. And when we humble ourselves this way, by humbling ourselves before God, it really makes humbling ourselves before one another way easier. This leads into the final thing we'll see in this passage, and that is that humbling ourselves before one another is an outcome of humbling ourselves before God. When we humble ourselves before God, humbling ourselves before others naturally follows. Humbling ourselves before others is a result or an outcome of this humility before God. Read with me again in verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I want you to notice something here. What is the command that he gives us in verse 5? To humble ourselves toward one another. What is the command that he gives in verse 6? Humble ourselves on God's mighty right hand, or mighty hand. To humble ourselves before God. In 6, is to humble yourselves, therefore. Therefore. In other words, we need... They're intrinsically tied together. We need to humble ourselves towards one another. But first, we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to humble ourselves before God first. We most manifestly humble ourselves before God, like I said, when we ask him to save us. That's when we release our pride. Give it to God. It really reorients the universe in our minds to the way it should be. Where God is on his throne and we are not. P. 
Peter says to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. It's recognizing who is really mighty. It's realizing in light of who God is, who we are, we're not mighty. God is. Remember that pride is when we aspire to that status or that position. It works out in so many little ways that we don't even think about. But we are not God. Yet subconsciously, many of us live like we are. We live as though we want to be God. So what is your life all about? How do you live your life out? Is it all about you? Does the universe in your world center around you, your needs, your emotions, your desires? What do you spend your, what do you spend your time talking about? Yourself? Where does your money go? To spoiling yourself? What do you spend your time doing? Do you spend your more time seeking to love God and love other people? Or do you spend more time entertaining yourself? When we make our world revolve around us, we're really, in our lives, we're putting ourselves on God's throne. Aspiring to his position and status. Living in the midst of pride. Oh, how we need to humble ourselves before God. When we don't humble ourselves before God, I think, no, I I believe that we don't fully grasp what God did to rid us of our pride. Do you know that Jesus died for your pride? Grasp that. He died to save us from our pride. Jesus Christ came to earth and he humbled himself beyond any of our comprehension, placing our pride and all our other sins on his back, dying a criminal's death for crimes that we committed. Mark Driscoll says that God was humble enough to let his own creation murder him. God was humble enough to let his own creation murder him. That took humility beyond anything that we can even imagine. And what does he want us to do? Humble ourselves before him. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. To repent of our pride, our egos, our ambition, our boastings, our self-glorification. And say, you are God. I'm not. You are God. Forgive me of my pride and my arrogance. That I could even aspire to anything remotely comparing to you. I believe that you died for those things. He rose again for me. Please help me to live a life that honors you. In humility.
You may have never done this before. Taking that step to recognize who God is. To come before him as a sinner. And ask him to forgive you. You need to realize how important it is that you do. And that you do this today. Whether or not you do this determines your eternal destiny. Others of you have been Christians for years. And you need to come back to God and humble yourself before Him again. And say, I know you have saved me, but I'm not living like it. I'm not living in a way to fight my pride. I'm trying to take that throne. And you need to humble yourselves before God once again in in light of who God is, what he's done for you, and in light of who we are. And let him retake the throne in your life. And you know what's amazing? Probably the most amazing part of this passage. The second part of verse 6. It's another promise of God's to those who humble themselves. He's already promised them grace. And this is really another grace that he gives them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That he may lift you up in due time. God promises to eventually lift up those who humble themselves before him. In the world, the most glorified positions are saved for the most prideful. It's true. It's rewarded. Eternity, though, the most glorified positions are saved for the humble. Those who come before God, humble themselves. Let him retake the throne. Other versions translate this as to lift up as to exalt, so that God will exalt those who humble themselves. The desire, I think, when it's pure and holy, the desire to be glorified or to be exalted isn't inherently wrong. But every way that it lives out in our lives is full of pride. Because we try to do it with self-glorification. We try to glorify ourselves. And we can't. Any attempt will ultimately fail miserably. Only God is glorious. Exalting ourselves only pits us against God. He stands in opposition. But God exalting us? Why would he exalt us? God exalting us, that's the most glorious exaltation we could dream of. This future lifting up, it's what God wants us to be motivated by. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, in order that he may lift you up. He'll lift you up. He wants that to be our motivation. Now, it probably won't be in the timing that we like or we want, or prefer, it will be in God's time. He says that he may lift you up in due time. In due time. When he chooses. But what a promise. 
that he would take wretched sinners like us and lift us up. Let us humble ourselves before God and then humble ourselves before one another and play out in our lives the way we relate to one another, the way we act toward one another, the way we think of one another, until that day. In the meantime, you may be more than humbled. You may be humiliated, maybe trodden upon, maybe disgraced, dishonored. But one day, God, in his grace, will lift you up. God will lift you up. And that alone will make it way more than worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as your people, although we do not deserve to be. You've humbled yourself that we might humble ourselves before one another for you. Pray that your spirit would be working on each of our lives. That if any of us have not come to you in humility and asked you to save us, that they would do that today. And for those of us who need to get right with you, put you back on the throne. Humbly, let us do that. Please help us. That we would fall at your feet, offer everything we have. We ask this in your name. Amen.